My name is Marie LeConte. Welcome to The Bunker. The topic of MP second jobs has been in and out of the news for years. In 2021, the scandal about Owen Paterson's work with Randocks marked the beginning of the end of Boris Johnson's premiership. Earlier this year, Keir Starmer hinted that a Labour government would ban them altogether. It's an issue that often captures the public's imagination, but not one on which we know a lot. Do second jobs actually influence the way politicians behave? If so, in which ways? Here with me today to discuss his research on the topic is academic Simon Veschler. Hello, Simon. Hey, good to be here. So you're an academic at Syracuse University. What made you decide to look at the second jobs of the House of Commons specifically? Yeah, so my research has been since, you know, since I got my PhD has been on what effect money has on politics. And the types of money that we look at in the social sciences in advanced industrial countries are typically we look at campaign donations, we look at lobbying, and we look at revolving doors, right? So politicians Mm. getting lucrative jobs in the private sector after they leave office. And we generally find that these types of money have an effect on how politicians behave. What we Mm. don't really look at is politicians having a private sector job while in office, right? So, and it seems sort of kind of obvious that if they have a job while in office, that, that this could have you know, similar effects on what politicians do as, say, campaign donations or revolving door jobs, right? Um, hmm. Perhaps even more so. Um, so, you know, I thought, you know, we, we need to, like, learn about this. We need to know more about this. We have pretty little knowledge of the consequences of those second jobs. Myself, I've lived in the UK. Um, I follow the news there pretty, pretty regularly. So I know it's an important way in which money enter politics. It's, I know it's a topic of discussion, right? You've mentioned uh, Owen Patterson scandal. You know, it goes back the cash for access scandal in, in 2015, right? So it's been sort of in the news and it's been an important topic for many, many years, right? And so that seemed like a good context to, to study second jobs, right? And, and especially importantly, as a social scientist, you sort of live and die by the data that's available to you, right? And uh, MPs in the House of Commons, they're required to provide pretty detailed disclosure about their jobs. So again, that made uh, the House of Commons an ideal context to study uh, the consequences of second jobs. Mm, No, that makes sense. And so is British politics special in allowing lawmakers to have second jobs? No, no, not at all, actually. It's actually like in most democracies, MPs are allowed in one way or another to work in the private sector, right? So it's roughly, you know, three quarters to 80% of democracies, MPs can have second jobs, right? So that includes most European countries, right? So Germany, France, Ireland, Netherlands, right? So it's not just a topic in the UK, but it's a topic in many, many other countries as well, which makes it even more important uh, to, to figure out what's going on. So with that being said, and as you state in your research, actually few people have tried to study the impact second jobs have uh, before. Why do you think that is? Well, as I mentioned, right, it's you live and buy by the data that's available to you as a researcher. And it's really, really hard to study this phenomenon because it's really, really hard to get data. Right. So in even though it's allowed in most countries, many countries do not disclose the information, right? So there's no public record, it's voluntary, it's not published, uh, made available to the public. Uh, or even if, you know, data is available, the information that's provided is pretty limited. Um, so the UK is pretty unusual in that MPs have to provide very, very detailed information on their second jobs in the register of interest, right? They have to do so in a very timely manner and they have to provide pretty much everything you would want to know. Like they have to provide the start date, the end date of their work. They have to say who their employer is, 
what their job title is, the description of the work they do, how many hours they worked for a certain um, employer. And of course, perhaps most importantly, they have to provide the exact amount of money they are earning. The data is out there. The way it's disclosed, that particularly in the UK, is it's pretty much a mess, right? You need an enormous <laughs> amount of time and work to get it in a way that you can analyze it. Um, mm. So, and that just makes it really, really difficult to study. But actually, so kind of on that note, how did you go about conducting your research? Like, what what did you focus on specifically? So the way the way I did it, right, um, is looking at the register of interest, right? As I said, all the data that you would want is there. The problem is it's presented in an extremely messy way, not in like a spreadsheet or anything. Instead, you know, I won't bore you with the details, but it's, you know, it's in PDF files, there's overlapping time periods, right? So the same job gets declared over and over again. Entries (laughs) aren't standardized in any way, right? So Mm. some entries are, you know, I got a payment, a one-off payment, some are sort of regular payments, but the income is given per year, per month, per day. Sometimes it's per quarter. There's errors in there that are corrected in a way that's not immediately obvious, right? So it's it's really, really hard to just get very basic information, right? So, so just sort of something like, you know, how much money did a certain MP earn in a certain year in the private sector? That is something that should be easily, you know, detectable or the information that should be easily obtained and it's not right you have to go through all of those entries line by line and sort of try to figure out you know how much money did they earn in a certain job in a certain year right so this took me a very very long time many many months uh, to code all of this right but after i did that right what i ended up with is i have a data set right that has the complete earnings of you know all mps from their second jobs from 2010 to 2016, right? So I have the complete data on that. Um, and then, you know, because my interest is or was in trying to figure out, you know, does it have an effect on how they behave in office? I collected also data on various uh, things about behavior in office, right? So I collected data on how they voted in the divisions on the floor, whether they voted or whether they were absent, uh, and information on Uh, their written parliamentary questions, right? And so once I have all of that together, right, what that allows me to do is I can look at how does the behavior of MPs change when they take up a second job or when they leave one, right? So when they go from not having a job to having a job or from having a job to not having a job, we can look at in that during those transitions before and after, does their behavior in parliament change? And so before we properly dive into the data, we should probably talk about the fact that not all MPs are created equal. I um, So I, I don't think bunker listeners will be shocked by this revelation, but could you give us a sense of the party breakdown when it comes to second jobs? Yeah, it's, you know, they won't be shocked that there are differences between parties. And I'm, I'm sure nobody's shocked to hear that this is much, much more common among conservative MPs, right? So if we, mm. let's take 2016, um, there in my data, right, 30% of conservative MPs had a second job or had second jobs that earned them at least a thousand pounds per year, right? The equivalent figure for labor is only around 10%. So roughly three times as like, uh, you know, three times as likely um, to have a second job among conservative MPs. The average earning of those who do have a second job, it's quite lucrative. So for conservative MPs, of the ones that had a job in 2016, they on average they earned around 50,000 pounds from those jobs, right? So parliamentary salary around that time was just a tad over 80,000. 
Um, so, you know, a significant amount on top. Uh, the equivalent figure among labor MPs is much lower, only around 11,500 pounds, right? So basically, if you put that together in the entire time frame, 2010 to 2016, roughly three quarters of the incomes from second jobs went to conservative MPs. So reading the research, I have to say I was really surprised by some of the findings. So the one I didn't see coming, for example, was voting. So c- could you tell us a bit about how second jobs can influence an MP's voting patterns? Yeah, so a common criticism of these second jobs is that, okay, if these politicians, if they spend all of this time working in the private sector, right, they have less time to do their job as an MP representing their constituents in the House of Commons. Right. And so the way, one way to, to test how much effort MPs put into their job is looking at vote attendance, right? Like how many votes do they attend? How many do they, do they miss? Typically, you would expect that there's actually like a decrease in vote attendance, right? Because they're working in the private sector at the same time. What you find is among labor MPs, there's no difference whatsoever. Uh, among conservative MPs, you actually find that attendance increases when they have a second job, right? So they are more likely to attend votes, roughly three percentage points more, right? And if you look a little bit closer, what you see is that this is driven by MPs, by conservative MPs, whose constituencies are located far away from London, right? So those whose constituencies are close to London, you don't see a change in their vote attendance when they have a job. But those who are live, who, whose constituencies are far away, you do see a change, right? And the reason is, if you look at where those second jobs are located, the vast majority is, is located in, in London, right? So what's happening is that when they have those jobs, they spend more time in London, which makes it much easier for them, right, to just pop over um, to, to <laughs> yeah. the House of Commons and attend uh, an additional vote when they otherwise would have been at home potentially in their constituencies, right? So, so you know, that was pretty surprising to me, right? Like, because it goes against sort of all the the conventional wisdom, right, that actually having a second job doesn't necessarily mean MPs spend less time working in, West, in Westminster. No, no, that it is really fascinating because it's so counterintuitive. So yeah, it kind of shows as well that, you know, it, it's good to have people like you actually looking at that stuff. So another thing you looked at as well was parliamentary questions. I, I would say I find the results um, intriguing. So could you could you tell us a bit about what you found? Yeah, so maybe it's it's sort of helpful to talk a little bit about written parliamentary questions, right? What they are. They're not the ones that you see on TV, right, on on the floor. Every MP can ask as many questions as they want to any government department, right? And the department has to respond in writing within a couple of weeks, right? And so the idea is that this is a way to get information from government departments, that MPs can use this to hold the government accountable or to get information for their for their constituents and help their constituency. The concern, of course, is that when an MP has a second job, that they actually might use these parliamentary questions for their job, right? So a few months ago, uh, an MP, Scott Benton, uh, was caught on camera saying as much that he, you know, he could do that and he could ask questions on uh, parliamentary questions if, if hired by a company, right? And so... To, to check whether that's happening, right, I looked at sort of the entire data and basically what you find is that there is a large increase in the number of questions asked by conservative MPs when they have a second job. There's no effect uh, for labor MPs, but uh, conservative MPs, they roughly ask 60% more questions huh. when they have a second job. That's incredibly striking. And it's one of those, obviously, you don't want to jump to conclusions, but it's also quite hard not to jump to conclusions. No, I mean, it, it doesn't 
necessarily have to be a bad thing, right? That uh, they ask more questions, right? Like you could imagine, right? So they work in the private sector. Maybe they learn about problems of the industry that they work in, right? And then they ask questions to the government to draw attention to those problems, right? So that's something that could be going on. But if you dig a little bit deeper, it, it, the data doesn't suggest that that's the case, right? So <laughs> if you look at, um, you know, who asks more questions? It's not that all MPs ask more questions when they have a second job, right? It's the increase is mostly among people in leading company positions, right? So people that work as directors or as board members, they are the ones that ask more questions. It's also not across all industries, right? It's it's those working in companies and what you could call sort of knowledge inten uh, intensive industries side, right? So finance and law, that's where you see the biggest effects. They ask the most additional questions when they have a job. What you also see is that they don't ask more questions to all government departments, right? It's uh, what you see is they ask more questions to departments that have larger budgets and that have more procurement spending, right? And so that's already sort of, you know, the very special pattern of asking additional questions. And then what I did with, with a research uh, assistant, we actually went and coded 18,000 um, questions and just looked at what are they asking about, right? And what, what we find is that when they have a second job, right, they especially ask more questions about internal information on department policies or department projects, right? So mm. things like, mm. what is the minister thinking about this? What is the state of that project, right? So, you know, that's taken together. That's not necessarily a pattern that suggests that they are using these additional questions to hold the government accountable or to help constituents or to draw attention to certain problems, right? And it does suggest that, you know, MPs, you know, at least consciously or perhaps unconsciously are influenced by their jobs when asking those questions. It's, yeah, I mean, it's one of those where you usually try to fight against the kind of move to, like the automatic move to cynicism uh, in politics. But yeah, but it feels quite hard not to be quite cynical listening to you talking about this. Um, and actually, you, you've kind of preempted uh, my next question, which is going to be that obviously there are kind of second jobs and second jobs. So it is very different, you know, someone going to help out in their local hospital once in a while because they used to be a doctor from someone who'd never done anything like that before and suddenly, you know, becoming an associate at Dodgy Lobbying Limited. Did you find that actually different types of second jobs led to different behaviours, so even kind of internally? Yeah, so I mean, you know, sort of because the effects are concentrated among conservative MPs, you know, in leading company positions, working in certain industries, right? I mean, the flip side of that is that I didn't find any discernible effect for second jobs for most other MPs, right? So I never find any effects for labour MPs, um, and I mean, even among conservative MPs, right, like the majority of conservative MPs don't work in those professions where I find effects, right? So it doesn't have an effect on, say, you know, people working in jobs that aren't directorships or board memberships, right? So somebody working you know, who used to be a dentist who works on a Saturday morning in his practice, like that doesn't have an effect, or at least I, I can't find any effect. Hi, I'm Katie Riley. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, Donald Trump became the first former U.S. president in history to face a criminal trial. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. This is not a trial. This is not a, an act of criminality. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. This is the story of his first week in court told through the transcripts. Listen now to the slow newscast wherever you get your podcasts. 
were there actually any areas where second jobs didn't really significantly change the behavior of MPs? Yeah, what I also looked at is sort of perhaps the most important part of an MP's job is, right, is they vote uh, on the floor. They vote in divisions. Um, And so what I looked at is how often MPs cast rebellious votes, right? So that's basically votes that go against the party line, where you vote against the majority of your party as a way to sort of try to figure out, do they actually vote differently when they have second jobs? Uh, And what I find is, or what you find is, uh, you know, when conservative MPs have a private sector job, the probability of that happening goes up by like a tiny bit, right? It's 0.2 percentage points, right? So, But, you know, it's not a large effect. It could just be by chance. And really, it amounts to about one changed vote every two years. (laughs) And that's just Mm -hmm. not enough. Uh, given the vote margins that we typically have in the House of Commons, it's just not enough to change any votes, right? So basically we don't find, right, it's a very public, a very visible activity. And of course, many votes are whipped. So, you know, rebelling is very costly. Um, So this keeps the influence of second jobs uh, in check. And I I don't think we have to worry about, you know, certain bills passing or not passing as a consequence of politicians working in the private sector. Hmm. Yay, that is reassuring. Um, So another thing I found really interesting in your research is that MPs actually start altering their behavior before even getting a job. So a bit like someone going on a diet because they know they want to get back into dating. So how did you come across that? And were you surprised by it? So the reason I, I looked at that is this boring statistical reasons uh, behind that. Um, but, the, the, you know, once I found that, it's it's not really all that surprising, I think, right? Especially when you consider it's not all MPs who start changing their behavior before they have a job. It's mostly MPs who are about to become company directors, right? They are the ones that um, change their behavior before they take up the job. And that sort of makes sense, right? Like you don't necessarily get these jobs out of the blue. You don't get a call out of nothing. Do you want to be a director, right? It's typically, and you know, you can actually show this in the data, most MPs who become directors, it's pretty straightforward to find out that they had a previous connection to the company, right? So maybe they've known the owner, they've had a friendship with them, they worked for the company at a previous point in time, right? So... Um, so most of the those MPs already have a connection to the company before they officially start their job as a director, right? So, I mean, you know, it, maybe the better analogy is not that, you know, you you go on a diet before be, before you get back into dating. It's sort of, you know, you've gone on a few dates with someone, it's going well, you get closer, right? And then while you do that, you change your behavior in a number of ways. So it's washing the bed sheets then. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was a very crass joke. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before you become a couple, right? But yeah, so another thing as well, and obviously you've entirely understandably focused on the House of Commons, but a, a big part of uh, an MP's job is also what happens in the constituency. Like, is it, but, but I, I'm guessing the problem is that there's not nearly as much data there on actually what they do in the constituency and how kind of useful um, they are to their constituents, etc. So is, is that something you want to look at or like wanted to look at but couldn't? Or like, what, what you know, have you kind of considered looking at the more local side of things? Yeah, I mean, that seems important, right? I earlier talked about how they are, when they have a job, they spend more time in London. And as a consequence, they vote more, right? But the flip side is, of course, is sort of they're less often in their constituency, right? And so, I mean, I don't know, maybe they just spend less time with their families. It's very plausible that when they have those second jobs, they're less often at home, they spend less time doing constituency service, right? But, you know, as you mentioned, it's... it's um 
just very, very difficult to find systematic data on this, right? Like some MPs, you know, probably disclose this, but it's not, you know, you need this for every MP over a period of, of many years and just there's just no data. So um, I would hope that at some point, if I, you know, if such data is available, um, that's certainly something important to look at. Yeah. I realise this is very much the bit of the podcast in which I'm annoying and I'm kind of needling you on the stuff you've not done. But um, but another thing as well, because obviously your research has been very quantitative so far. So looking, you know, at the data and anchored in the in the data, have you like, would you ever consider doing something more qualitative of kind of maybe talking to MPs and seeing on, on a more, I suppose, that personal human level, how having a second job can influence um, the, the way they see their jobs, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, so my hope is that I'm actually sort of I'm starting working right now on potentially a book about this project, right? And so interviews would be, um, you know, a big part of the the process here, right? Um, because you know, I would really would like to understand why do MPs have those second jobs, right? Like, what is it? Um, is it is it are they interested in the money? Is it a new challenge? Are they hoping to learn something, right? And I would I would just really like to know what politicians like why do they think it's a good idea to take up these second jobs right and the same is is for the employers right like why are they hiring sitting MPs like what are they hoping um, to get from this that they can't get from from a regular employee so yeah that's definitely something um, I would I would like to do cool well I, I look out for it and finally, so what, what would you like people to take from your research? So should second jobs be banned entirely or should they be massively curtailed? Or are you about to give a sort of like classic academic answer of saying actually it's quite complicated? It, it is quite complicated. <gasps> you you shock me. Get, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're going to get the academic answer from me, right? Because, I mean, the implications of my finding, they aren't unambiguous, right? Like you can, you can tell a glass half full story here, right? It's they don't change what becomes law. They don't have an effect on votes. They don't have to lead to less effort in parliament. In fact, they might lead to more effort in parliament. Um, and, you know, many MPs don't change their behavior when they have a second job. Um, but you could also tell a glass half empty story, right? It's like you have this targeted increase in questions among a significant number of MPs, right? And, you know, of course, that's only the part we can see, right? Like the questions, they're on the record. You can, everybody can look at them. They're all online. Um, there's a lot of things that MPs do that aren't recorded, that aren't online, right? And so, of course, this raises the question, you know, is, does it have an effect on the emails they write, on the informal conversations they have, what they write in WhatsApp messages, right? And those are the kinds of things that we're not privy to. Um, but, you know, again, if you find these things, these patterns that I found in publicly available data, one can speculate, um, what what you can find in data that isn't available, right? But, you know... Ultimately, it's up to the voters, right? Like, I mean, I think they need to decide if they're okay with their MP having a private sector job, if they're okay with their MP spending time for a private sector company and earning earning money from it, right? And, and my goal with my work is, you know, just to provide a better basis to voters to make that decision in an informed way. That's both very diplomatic, but also generally very reasonable. Um, cool. That was so fascinating. Thank you so much, Simon. Thanks for having me. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can back us on Patreon so we can keep making them. There's a link in the show notes or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. For as little as £3 a month, you'll get access to episodes early and without adverts, as well as exclusive merchandise offers. I'm Marie LeConte and you are listening to The Bunker.
The Bunker Daily was presented by Marie LeConte. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The managing editor was Jacob Jarvis. And the producers were Liam Tate and me, Alex Reese, with assistant production from Adam Wright. Art direction by James Parrott. Music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Mm-hmm.